Good morning and welcome to your Friday Five, a weekly newscast from the Boston University News Service. It's October 18th, 2019. I'm Susanna Sudborough, the Managing Editor. And I'm Hannah Harn, Assistant Managing Editor. Today we'll take a look at our top stories this week, including safe injection sites in Massachusetts, two new public health bills, and a behind-the-scenes look at art conservation. Let's get started so you can start your day. Doctors, legislators, and medical students spoke at a recent State House hearing in support of implementing safe injection site facilities where trained medical personnel oversee and can care for people using illicit substances. But U.S. Attorney Andrew Lelling is on record as being strongly opposed to the practice, saying it amounts to giving up on the opioid crisis. He reaffirmed his position last week after a federal judge ruled in favor of a Pennsylvania nonprofit seeking to open a safe injection site, ruling it would not violate federal drug laws. Despite the controversy, speakers at the State House hearing strongly favored implementing a pilot safe injection site in Massachusetts. Supervised injection facilities are an important evidence-based tool that should be incorporated into the Commonwealth's comprehensive approach, said Henry Dworkin, former president of the Massachusetts Medical Society, in reading testimony on behalf of the society at the hearing. While there has been an overall decrease in opioid-related overdose deaths, Michael Botticelli, executive director of the Graykin Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, said some communities are still experiencing increases. Current strategies, he said, are insufficient to meet the landscape. This story was contributed by Lindsay Vickers. Representative Dan Carey, a Democrat from East Hampton, said he has been listening to nurses and health centers located throughout western Massachusetts to develop legislation that would allow low-income mothers to rent hospital-grade pumps to use at home. Only mothers who can afford the hospital-grade pumps can use those and have to pay out of pocket for them, Carey said, noting the situation is currently inequitable. Nurse Jennifer Marion, who works in the neonatal department at Bay State Children's Hospital, testified at the bill's first public hearing this week. She said that mothers of premature babies, or preemies, are not able to produce an adequate milk supply without the hospital breast pump. There's no other medical reason why they shouldn't be making milk, she said, except this missing factor that they really did not have the optimal pump. The optimal pump Marion referred to costs an additional $70 to rent each month. Under the Affordable Care Act, insurance companies provide a personal pump for mothers to take home after delivery. It's not fair that just because a mother has a different kind of insurance, like a state insurance, and has less money, her baby should get less breast milk since she's getting an inferior pump, says Kim Congdon, a lactation consultant in the neonatology department at Bay State. I think it's really important to support the mother's goals to provide breast milk for their baby, Congdon said. If we can possibly do that for them, that would be a blessing, I'd have to say. This story was contributed by Nora Datia. Prosecutors called Stephen Chartier to the witness stand to testify before a jury at a U.S. district court about his 13 months as the former vice president of regulatory and clinical affairs at Pixar Bio, a biotechnology company that operated out of Medford. Several press releases from Pixar Bio inflated the sums of their fundraising efforts in addition to falsely reporting the product development, according to the prosecution. Chartier said he was never asked to review the press releases for accuracy before their release. Chartier said founder Francis Reynolds began meetings with investors by talking about his personal life, including his own medical history. Reynolds explained how he had been paralyzed and then educated himself and put together a treatment plan that basically cured his paralysis, Chartier said in Testimony Friday. 
I felt like the timelines were very aggressive, Chartier said. Based on my prior experience, I thought it was extremely aggressive. Reynolds told investors that he was the Steve Jobs of biotech, Chartier said, that only two people had cured paralysis, him and Jesus Christ. He compared himself to Donald Trump. He claimed that the Vatican had done a study and he was the most educated man in the world. In reality, Pixar Bio did not have enough money to get through clinical trials, Chartier said. Reynolds always claimed the valuation in the billions, Chartier said. He was always very optimistic about fundraising. This story was contributed by Stella Lawrence. State law already bans marijuana establishments from setting up shop within 500 feet of a public or private K-12 school. Two bills, one filed by Representative Hannah Kane of Shrewsbury and the other by Senator Joseph Boncor of Winthrop, seek to add any daycare center or any facility in which children commonly congregate, as well as any church, synagogue, temple, or place of worship to the list. However, advocates testified at the State House that, if the bill passes, real estate might become a barrier for applicants seeking to move forward in the industry. Joe Gilmore, the president of the Massachusetts Recreational Consumer Council, told the legislature's committee on cannabis policy that getting a permitted location was one of the largest challenges applicants face and that the bills would reduce available space while raising rents. Under the current buffers, it's already almost impossible for most folks who qualify for social equity to acquire and maintain a permissible site, he said. Cannabis Control Commission member Shailene Title also told lawmakers real estate is one of the primary hurdles for small businesses and businesses owned by people from marginalized communities when seeking to obtain a marijuana license and open a business, according to the State House News Service. Industry opposition was not unanimous. Peter Bernard, the president of the Massachusetts Grower Advocacy Council, said in an email that he supported the bills. He felt the regulation for places where children commonly congregate is reasonable. We do not think it will affect the industry much at all due to the way folks look for property, he said in an interview. As much as some people in the legislature think we're unscrupulous people, we are actually pretty responsible and sensitive to such needs. This story was contributed by Mia Chen. Last but not least, a new temporary gallery at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston invites visitors to see the artwork in a way that has never been seen before, lying prone under a bright light being attended to by the museum's conservators. One of the pieces, Bishamonten, Guardian of the North, was crafted thousands of years ago during the Heian period. It is made of joined wood blocks of Japanese cypress with a hollow space inside. The head may be removable, but no one has seen what the hollow space may reveal because it is nailed to the body, said Lindsay Boyer, the conservator working on the figure that day. The figure is part of a temporary workspace where people can observe conservators working and ask them questions. It's part of a long-term plan to refurbish the Japanese Buddhist temple room. Conservation is a mix of studio art, art history, and science, said Boyer. It's not only an opportunity for attendees of the MFA to see conservators working and willing to answer questions, but also a chance for scientists and conservators to examine Japanese religious figures in greater detail than they've ever been studied. Diana Maitukaitis Brown, a tour guide at the MFA, compared conservators' work to that of doctors. They examine and analyze the pieces and develop treatment plans for them, much like physicians would with patients, she explained. Artwork like paintings or stone statues will require different tools and techniques to conserve them, and this exhibit is a hint at what is to come. 
Attendees of the museum will get to see other forms of conservation in action with the opening of the new Conservation Wing in 2020, which promises a light-filled open space where visitors can observe conservators at work. This story was contributed by Lillian Eden. And that's it for your Friday Five. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. For the full versions of this week's stories, visit bunewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. We'd like to thank today's contributing writers, Lindsay Vickers, Nora Adatia, Stella Lawrence, Mia Chen, and Lillian Eden, as well as our production team. This week's episode of Friday Five was produced by Hannah Harn. And be sure to check out our latest episode of Between the Bylines, where we sit down with our contributors to discuss top stories through the lens of student journalism. Visit us online at bunewsservice.com slash podcast for more information.